What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. Before we begin, I'd like to give you your weekly reminder that you can check us out on Twitter at ICGAW, that's I-C-G-A-W. You can also shoot us an email at ICGAWpod at gmail.com. We'll be talking about a couple mailbag questions at the end of the episode, so feel free to shoot them in and join the conversation. In the meantime, please, as always, tell your friends to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts. All right, my friends, here we go. What's up, guys? Welcome to It Can't Get Any Worse, America's Worst Podcast for America's Worst Hockey Team. I'm your host, Jay, and on today's show, we're going to be discussing the impact of Jack Eichel, the captain, on the Buffalo community in our What Are You Reading section. We're going to be recapping a five-point haul against the Coyotes, Capitals, and Bruins. And in part three, we'll be looking ahead to games against the Panthers, Caps, and Ducks. We'll finish the show talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester, around town in the league, and opening up a mailbag of questions. If you enjoy the show, we would so appreciate it if you would drop us a five-star review on iTunes. We so appreciate the support and kind words. Here we go on to part one and what are you reading. And what are we talking about today? It's an article from The Athletic Again, this one's from John Vogel, our you know typical Buffalo beat writer who joined the Athletic, and his headline is "The Making of a Captain: How Jack Eichel Swiftly Changed the Sabers' Culture and the Feeling in a City That Quote Deserves a Winning Team." And I'll open up with the a direct quote from the anecdote that he offers to open up this article. After riding an elevator from their suite to ice level, the excited fans slowly walked or wheeled themselves toward the Sabres locker room. They gathered for pictures in the hallway, saying cheese for the first shot and hockey puck for the second. In the middle of the group was a sign that read, Thank you, Jack, for the suite. Just then, Jack Eichel walked out to join them. He donated a luxury box to a Buffalo area agency that works with the disabled, and the center came out to shake hands sign autographs, and pose for pictures. After taking a knee next to a man in a wheelchair, he stood to find a woman filled with the holiday spirit. I like the Santa hat, Eichel said. Are you excited for Christmas? Another man from the nonprofit, after getting a signed photo, mentioned this was his second NHL game. You brought us a win, so you're always welcome, Eichel said. Come back any time. Watching the scene unfold, a Sabres employee remarked, He's really grown up. Huh? It's more obvious by the day. I'm going to pause here and discuss that growing up statement that Vogel makes. Um, and maybe, I don't know if this necessarily needs to be emphasized, but emphasized, I don't, I don't think he's necessarily commenting on growing up in terms of a maturity aspect in that I don't know that we've ever really considered Jack Eichel to be an immature player. I think he's always, for his age, been pretty capable of you know, managing his emotions and managing his expectations of himself and, and of, of the team. Um, he has been certainly very down about Buffalo in the last few years, but who hasn't? And as we talk about in a second, Eichel has been the face of this franchise for the last three plus seasons. And this summer, he 
made a point to go on the radio and discuss that he wanted to be in Buffalo and he wanted to be a part of the turnaround here and see Buffalo start winning again. He mentioned that he was invested in the city and he's shown that this year with his activism in in the community. And I think Vogel's anecdote in the beginning really illustrates the impact that he can have on Buffalo citizens in the community. Going back to Vogel's article, from that anecdote with the fans, Vogel discusses how Eichel became the face of the franchise on the day he was drafted second overall in 2015, and and how, despite the presence of superstars who are performing really well, like Jeff Skinner, Carter Hutton, a superstar-level elite young talent like Rasmus Dahlin, they all have significance and significant status at the club. But it has never been in question that this team is Jack Eichel's team. And how this article works is Vogel basically incorporates some different statistical support and different factoids about Jack Eichel mixed in with various quotes about Jack. And I'm going to cut out all the statistical stuff and cut out the anecdotes, and I'm just going to read the quotes and to maybe paint a picture from this article, as Vogel tries to do, paint a picture with these quotes of Jack Eichel and have a little bit of a conversation about it afterwards. And so Evan Rodriguez, and if you are not familiar, Evan Rodriguez played with Jack Eichel and Brandon Hickey and Danny O'Regan, who are still with the Rochester Americans, at Boston University. And so there's a significant level um, or significant number of Boston University products within the organization right now. And that's what Evan talks about in his quote. What you're seeing this year is what I saw a lot in our one year at BU. His will to win is unlike anyone else. That's all he wants is to win. That's what drives him. Now what we're doing, now that we're doing that, he's pushing more than ever. Between periods, he's making sure the locker room's not quiet. When teams are down, it gets really quiet in intermissions. He's not letting that happen. Even if it's not yelling at guys or telling guys to wake up, he's always vocal, always going. When you're more upbeat, you have more success. You play better. You have more jump in your step. I think he's done a great job of doing that. And Nate Beaulieu kind of commenting on that. He was talking about the 6-2 loss to the Flyers on this one. He actually has an expletive. says, we were dog poop. And he wasn't shy to go up and say something. He's got a lot of guys that are a lot older than him and have more experience than him. But he doesn't back down from having that captaincy. He's very stern, and he believes in the message he's sending. And Eichel actually comments on speaking to the team, and Eichel himself says, whatever message you're trying to get across, usually it's received pretty well if you speak from the heart and deliver it right away. I always felt like it was the easiest way to do it. Just speak from the heart. Be emotional in the room if I'm addressing the team. Tage Thompson, new player to the team, comments, what stands out is how hungry he is. He's wanting the best out of everyone in the room. He holds everyone in here accountable. And at the same time, when you hold people accountable, accountable, you've got to be able to back it up yourself. Obviously, he can do that and has done that. Eichel also comments on speaking to the media. I still really don't like doing it, he said. I was nervous as hell before I had to give my Hobie Baker speech. It's still nerve-wracking, but the more you do it, it's a little bit easier, you know? Bogosian comments, and I, I like this comment, especially coming from a veteran player on the team. It must be kind of interesting to be, you know, a 28, 29, or even if you get up to Pominville's level, a 35-year-old player and have a 22-year-old captain. And here's Bogosian. He obviously has a lot more weight on his shoulders than the typical 22-year-old, and he excels at it. He enjoys that pressure and that weight because he's a competitive person. 
And looking at that pressure and that weight, Eichel actually has some really interesting comments about what he looks to or who he looks to for leadership mentor experience and kind of the example of how to be a leader and you know being a a Boston kid and a Boston product we can't we can't fault him for being a Patriots fan and watching Tom Brady and he says he he's a big fan of watching Tom Brady and how he operates he says it's just listening to people following people and the way they act social media and the internet you can read or listen to just about anybody talk about anything I definitely use that the best of my ability I just try to listen to how other people handle situations and what they say. I've had a lot of different leaders throughout my first few years. Everyone seems to sort of rub with me something good in a different perspective, whether it's just somebody who's a vocal guy compared to somebody who's quiet and just does his work and tries to lead by example. You can learn a lot from everyone and just try and become your own leader, become your own person. And I think that's what I'm trying to do. Skinner also talks about Eichel and and let's, let's, put a little asterisk asterisk here. We really want Jeff Skinner to like Jack Eichel. I mean, I think he's the most talented center that Skinner has ever played with in his entire career and in a year where we're really trying to convince Jeff Skinner to stay. And hopefully, I mean, this would be the the best of all worlds, but having Skinner stay on a slightly more team-friendly deal, Skinner says he's still pretty young. So he gets going, or so he's going to get better. But just watching him practice... Seeing him every day is when you get to appreciate someone's skill, especially a guy like him, one of the best centermen in the league. Michael talks about that on-ice performance, talking about, I'm just trying to become better all over the ice, taking more pride in the face-off circle, trying to be better in our own zone, but I think there have been so many guys that have stepped up. It's a real team effort. For me, it's all about moving my feet, skating. The more I have the puck, the better I am. And Eichel closes by talking about the fans, and this is how the article closes as well. When you're winning and things are going well, people are definitely a lot quicker to jump on the Sabres train, and rightfully so. They've endured a lot of losing, and they deserve us to be a winning, competitive team. We just want to stick with it. And that's the end of the article, and I just this is going to be a very Eichel-focused episode given his performance in the last three games. And he just there is such a commendable personality and passion about Jack Eichel that I I always feel so blessed to be able to root for him and to cheer for him. And I was incredibly excited to see him get the captaincy over this offseason or at the beginning of this, at the offset of this season. And I always love to come back to a really poignant, awesome little clip where, you know, after the, the Buffalo franchise was crushed by losing out on yet another draft lottery and having to pick second overall and missing out on Connor McDavid. I will always remember that clip of a 17, 18-year-old Jack Eichel in his draft interview with the Buffalo Sabres and someone at the time, I don't know who it would have been in the Tim Murray organization, someone asking him the question or just making the comment after their conversation saying, well, Maybe we did win the lottery, talking about the option you know, to, to draft. It's not really an option. They're going to be drafting Jack Eichel. And someone says, maybe we did win the lottery. And Eichel responds, I think you did. And that confidence, but not quite arrogance, but also just the passion of Jack Eichel. I think one of my biggest complaints about hockey personalities is that we don't get to see hockey personalities very often. We get a lot of pan 
obviously very agent coached interviews and Jack Eichel is is very quick to be candid and open about the performance of the team about compete levels and I think that honesty and that view to that honesty is something that the Sabres fan is very blessed with he's also becoming an incredible incredible player I mean he's on pace to put up well over 100 points with his recent performances. He is going to probably, within his next 20 games, set a new scoring record for himself, a new personal best in his scoring. He's reaching new levels, and with these new levels, the team is reaching new levels. And um, this is going to be, like we talked about, we're going to talk about Eichel several times throughout this episode. And I felt that for the What Are You Reading item, you know, taking a little dive on team perception of Jack Eichel as we move through Jack Eichel, the player, would be a little eye-opening and a a little bit of a good view for what will be a a very pro-Jack Eichel episode. That's going to be about it for part one. I will drop that article in the show notes. It is an athletic article, so it is behind a paywall. However, I'm going to give a completely unsolicited plug for The Athletic. I was a little critical of The Athletic and just its its makeup and its um, the, how it came together and what it was going to be when it, when it was first uh, drafted up and first pitched. Um, I, I bought it a year subscription on I think a, like a 40% off deal and I got to say there's a ton of incredible content on there it's really a lot of very talented writers and I've really enjoyed reading it and so that's a, a shameless not shameless that's a completely um, open and honest zero money involved I have no connection with the athletic I have no connection with any media outlets I highly recommend the athletic I've really enjoyed reading their stuff John Vogel in particular has some great insights on the Sabres I've really enjoyed reading his stuff as well this season so that's about it for part one we're moving on to part two where we're going to recap the five-point haul we'll see you guys in a second All right, guys, welcome to part two, and we're going to start combing through the Sabres' most recent three games, and we're going back to Thursday night on this one, talking about the Sabres' outing as they welcomed the Arizona Coyotes to town. This one, lineup news, nothing too significant. Uh, Scandella had returned to practice during the day for the morning skate, but it was left to be a game-time decision. He inevitably didn't make it. Everything else looks just about the same um, bottom line is rounded out by Evan Rodriguez, Yoan Larson, and Zemgis Giergensen. So even though we we heard that Patrick Berglund was healthy and getting better, uh, we did not see him on the ice. And of course, as you probably know, we'll be chatting about him for the next game. Sabres get going quick. Uh, Connor Sherry intercepts a breakout pass right over the blue line, and he comes over the line and actually slips and falls right on his face, but not before he's dropped it to Casey Middlestat in the slot, who wrists one over Darcy Kemper, and he celebrates with this rolling wrist as if it's something he does every night. Um, it was a good good timing for, for both of them. Sherry had been six games without a point, and... Casey Middlestat had been just about the same, but he actually hadn't scored a goal since November 23rd against Montreal. That was nine games ago, and this was his fifth of the year. So it was good for him to be back on the mark and back contributing. Good for both of those players to get on the score sheet. Seven minutes in, Sam Reinhart has it between the defensive circles, and he sets Eichel going down the middle with a beautiful breakout pass. It's a two-on-one with Eichel and Skinner. 
Eichel squares it and Skinner, Skinner buries it. Dan Dunleavy gives this call and he says, you can call him the Blade Runner, Jeff Skinner. And I'm not sure about that one, but it's 2 nothing. I actually tweeted about that, and Dan Dunleavy was actually very nice. He sent me a Twitter direct message explaining his call and that that was something that had been joked about with how, um, I think it was, it would have been Marty who had talked about how Skinner, when he's coming into scoring, scoring situations, will actually lean back and get on the back end of his skates in this very impressive display of skating. And that's what Dan Dunleavy was joking about, and he, he sent me a message to clarify that. I love Dan Dunleavy. I think he's excellent on the call. I so enjoy listening to him when it's not RJ. Um, so I, I meant nothing by the tweet, but Dan was Dan Dunleavy was really nice to reach out and send me a direct message about that. It's 2 nothing in this one. That's Skinner's 22nd of the season. That's 11 points in a career-high eight-game point streak for Sam Reinhart that would continue, as we'll talk about. That's 12 points in Eichel's last 14. That top line is killing it. Coyotes do respond about 20 seconds later as Christian Fisher ends up behind the net. He comes around and crams a wraparound that plays some ping-pong in Hutton's pad and eventually goes in, and it's 2-1. Stars of the show are really the second line, not just for the goal, but they had some of the best periods of possession. It was probably the best we've seen them play all season, which is a a welcome addition. We're we're a very top-line heavy team watching the Buffalo Sabres, and to see that second line playing well this period was was nice to see. Um, Tied at sevens for shots on the periods, Sabres have a 2-1 lead. And into the second, the Yotes look to respond and create some good possession and chances in the first five minutes. There's a bit of a dicey moment where Eichel gives Christian Fisher a bit of a love tap from behind. He goes face first into the boards and springs a leak from his mouth. It wasn't a hard tap, but it probably was a penalty that wasn't called. Hoping that Fisher is okay. It it wasn't dirty, but it was a penalty. He didn't hit him that hard, but you can't hit a guy the way that he did. And when a guy goes into the boards like that, it probably should have been a penalty. It wasn't. Sabres were a bit lucky on that one. Sabres do get their chances in here as well. Acaposo rings the crossbar, so we get a Dan Dunleavy doink. He got set free by Casey Middlestat, rang just a meaty crossbar. Yotes respond with a crossbar of their own, and the next thing we know, Zach Bogosian just randomly wasn't on the ice. He did come back maybe about 10 minutes later, but we were keeping an eye on that one, and the Sabres had to buckle down a bit while they were down a few D-men. A few. Zach Bogosian. He plays like a couple D-men, but they're just down one. Hutton makes some good saves, the crossbars bail out the rest, and the Sabres keep their one-goal lead into the third, but it's dicey out there. Shots are 22-20. It needs a little bit of cleanup against a team that you would hope the Sabres would be mopping away. Into the third, there were no penalties through the first two periods, but the Sabres take one a minute into the third as Lawrence Pilot nails Casey Keller with a high stick. Sabres kill, but it's still choppy out there, and in, in the midst of some good pressure, Giergensen pressures the neutral zone, and the puck just flutters off of a defenseman over to Evan Rodriguez. He bursts over the line. We've complained a lot about his finishing in these sorts of situations in his, well, in this entire season, but this time he buries it past Kemper. That's 3-1 with 15 minutes remaining. Sabres and Yotes exchange penalties, and Arizona pulls as they try to push a 5-on-4 advantage. Carter Hutton tries to drop a Josh Allen-esque bomb on the open net, but it's cleared by the Coyotes, and Bogosian actually does succeed in burying one, but just after the buzzer had sounded, and the Sabres restart their win streak. 
Three points on this one. Point one, the thought of losing Zach Bogosian to injury was haunting in this one. The team is already drastically missing Jake McCabe. Losing another solid two-way tank would be difficult. I mean, in this game, Bogosian was second on the team in ice time with 25 minutes and 10 seconds, and that was with taking a few minutes in the locker room to fix whatever was going wrong. Bogo hasn't been amazing this season, but he's been an incredible presence. We, we talked last episode about the ability to run McCabe, Risto, and Bogosian on three lines and having someone that every other player on the team is going to know where they are when they're on the ice. And not just the idea of losing another D-man, but losing another presence like that. I mean, thank goodness Zach Bogosian did make it back for the game against the Caps. That would have been a tough one to lose. Point two, the feel-good factor is back. This was the Sabres' 11th home win of the season. That's how many they won at home last season. And that stat is courtesy of Matt Beauvais on Twitter. It's their first win in regulation since November 21st. Carter Hutton does his interview in his Trey White Goalie Academy shirt. Those things are gold. Hutton was fantastic this game. Jack Eichel talks up how great the crowd has been this season. The games are fun and the crowds are sizable. Secondary scoring is up for two straight games. That would not remain consistent as we'll talk about at the end of the episode. But In the final positive news, we get a full 60-minute effort for maybe the first time all season. A full 60-minute period of full-on, all-action effort from the Sabres. And I I would say we we got that again against the Caps, and we'll talk about that game in a second. But moving on to point three, the top line is crushing it. And we need that second line to play how they did more often. Reinhardt is on close to a 70-point pace. Eichel, by the end of this three-game stretch, is over a 100-point pace. Skinner has 22 goals. He would finish, I believe, with 26 by the end of these three games. It In three more goals, actually, he will get this. He tied Sam and Jack's team-leading season totals from last season. I'm going to confirm that very quickly. I can't remember exactly how many goals Skinner has. Quick check. Sorry, everyone. And yes, um, ah, he's one short. He has his 24 goals. And so with one more goal, he will tie Eichel and Reinhardt's goal totals from last season. They've had so many looks this season, and they're really impressive. The second line in this game, Casey Middlestat had a great game. Kyle Ocposo was okay. Connor Sherry, look, Connor Sherry had a bit of a honeymoon period to start this season, and that's probably over, and ultimately I think the fan base would like to see a little bit more from him. I like this line. I like the balance of the line. I would just like to see them get a little more action and get contributing a little more regularly. I don't know that there's necessarily anyone that I would take out of that line and put it back in, but it's a little... It's a little worrying that this team is so top-heavy, and even to the second line, there's such a significant drop-off in ability. We'll talk more about secondary scoring later in the episode. Moving on to the Capitals away in D.C. on Saturday night. The big news going into this one was that the Sabres announced that they had suspended Patrick Berglund indefinitely for failing to report. And these comments are from John Vogel on Twitter. Uh, Phil Housley on suspended Patrick Berglund. From my knowledge, talking to the medical staff, he was ill. That was about his absences from the previous game. So we handled it that way. 
Obviously, it developed into something different. Jason and the management are handling that. One of the Sabres sayings is all in, quote unquote. Housley's thoughts on a player apparently not being all in by failing to report. I'm not going to comment on that. We're going to focus on the guys in the locker room. We've got a big game tonight against a great opponent. Um, other news in this one, team-wise, Lawrence Pilot missed practice on Friday, and then he doesn't play in this one. He did travel for the team, and so at the time we were still hopeful for Boston, but he eventually ended up on the IR listed with a lower body injury and listed as day-to-day. Uh, Gooley got called up, as we'll talk about for the next game, and so I, th- I think the IR move is not a sign of how extreme the injury is, but just that they had to make some cap room in order to bring Gooley up. I'm not positive on that one, but I'm pretty sure that's how this one was working. Lineups are just about the same. The absence of the ability to bring in Berglund means that lines pretty much roll out exactly the same. Um, we're still looking at Bolu and Tennyson in the bottom pairing lineup, although Marco Scandella does return for this one, which is a significant positive. For the Caps, uh, Holtby is taking a break, and it's Phoenix Copley and Net, while Ovi is riding a casual 13-game point streak and that has no less than two hat tricks in it and 16 goals in those two games. So this clearly should have been an easy game for the Sabres. Two minutes in, the Sabres got an unfortunate power play, or an unfortunate, a fortunate power play opportunity. Kempney went to the box on a high sticking call. Just as the time is expiring, that three-pronged assault of Eichel, Ristolainen, and Darlene goes to work. Ristolainen drops for Darlene. He wrists one on net. Copley makes the pad save, but it falls to Eichel off to the side of the net perfectly, and he stuffs it into an open net high shelf. The Sabres are listed as two for three on the power play for the night, and as we'll find out, their other two goals were power play goals. So this technically doesn't count as a power play goal just as as the time just expired as Eichel's shot. Um, the replay actually does give the assist to Sam Reinhardt on an assist. He gets the a little bit of a tap on Darlene's shot as he's shooting it. This power play played really well tonight, and we'll talk more about some of the other power play goals, but we were I was really critical of this three-pronged attack. I felt like it favored the one-timers a little too much. They weren't generating high-scoring chances and our high danger scoring chances. And in this one, they were significantly more effective, as we'll find out. And so this was a this was a definite positive for them. A minute later, the Sabres have an ugly one. We've been praising Carter Hutton's ability to play the puck all season, but this one goes down to decision-making rather than a significant error. The puck comes behind the net, and Hutton goes to collect, but Devontae Smith-Pelly has closed him probably way faster than Carter Hutton was anticipating, and Brett Connolly is waiting on the doorstep of an empty net. DSP robs Hutton and dishes it pretty casually to Connolly, and you know the rest. It's 1-1. Just approaching the 10-minute marks, the Caps double their efforts as Kuznetsov wins the puck in the neutral zone. He squares for Jacob Vrana at the top of the circles, who gets a blast to make it 2-1. Maybe a bit of a screen on Hutton, but it was also just a great pass and an excellent shot. There's not a lot of blame to throw around unless you want to criticize the top line for not being critical enough in the neutral zone. It was, I believe it was Risto who passed to Sam Reinhardt who lost it. They're the ones who relinquished possession and set the team away. Shots are 8-10 in the first. Sabres have some work to do. Early in the second, Kempney goes to the box again. This time it's for hooking, and the Sabres get another opportunity to capitalize on the power play. 
early into the second, and they do. Risto drops for Darlene, who drops for Eichel to try to orchestrate a zone entry. Eichel is buzzing over the line down the right-hand side, and he completely undresses Orlov and whips one under the crossbar in a highlight real goal. Absolutely incredible effort. Dmitry Orlov is no no spring chicken, um, but he's also a perfectly capable NHL defenseman, and Eichel made him look like a rookie the way he went by him. Also, an incredible shot over Felix Copley's shoulder, probably finding about a 3-by-3-inch gap between his head and the corner of the goal. It just kisses the top of the goal as it goes in and pops right out. Brilliant goal. Sabres do get another power play opportunity minutes later as Madison Bowie heads to the box for hooking. On this one, Eichel slides it to Reinhardt on the goal line. He feeds Skinner in the slot, who gets a bit of a tame effort on it that's blocked to a defender, but that trickled shot trickles its way to Darlene close to the goal, who fires it from the circle, and it's 3-2 about halfway through the third. Sabres get a few chances to make their lead safe, but Copley makes some good saves. The real hero, honestly, in this case is Carter Hutton, who was largely excellent this game, barring his one mistake. He would finish the game with 38 shot, or sorry, 38 saves on 41 shots. There's not too much he could do about any of the goals, excluding that error that he made in the bit of miscommunication, but in, including this one. There was some. They were playing some four-on-four four as Reinhardt and Michael Kempney went to the box. Kempney again for the third time this game. And Ovi ends up in the slot, doesn't even need a wrist shot. He just winds up and blasts it. Hutton let the first in because he misjudged a four-check. He was screened on the second one. He let this one in because it was Ovechkin, so we'll let it go. The rest of the second is all caps and all Hutton with great saves on Vrana and Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. Sabres kill off a Tage Thompson penalty and do so rather successfully, but the Caps outshoot 15-9. It's 3-3 going into the third. Into the third, Nate Beaulieu does not return, and so we're now praying for Pilots or Hunwicks or somebody's health going into Boston. Um, Nate Beaulieu, it's suspected that this injury came from a walloping he took from Tom Wilson at one point. This one was dicey. There are no goals to speak of in the third. Hutton made some great saves. Copley made some great saves. Some crossbars were doinked by both sides. It's mostly caps, if we're being totally honest. They're awake, and the Sabres are down a D-man and probably trying to navigate that. They're also playing the Washington Capitals, and they're just raining it down on them. Towards the halfway point, maybe the highlight of this period, the Caps try to set up Lars Eller on the front, and Matt Tennyson, of all people, just cleans him out in what I was sure was going to be a penalized hit, but Tom Wilson's in this game, and so the rules are different. Late in the game, the Sabres get their one chance to come away as a winner on this one. Reinhardt gets a great feed from Eichel, and all he has to do is deposit it into an open net after a great play from Eichel dragged Copley wide, and Reinhardt just misses wide and we go to OT. OT's pretty even. Both teams are able to generate some great opportunities. Highlight is a breakaway save. Uh, Kuznetsov had gotten away and Hutton denied him. It ends 7-3 shots in favor of Buffalo actually and we go to the shootout. Into the shootout, goals from Kuzi and Ovi to Middlestat's great backhand attempt. Leave it to Palmer to score to keep it alive in the fourth round. Copley saves and we keep a point and the Sabres lose, oddly enough, their first shutout of the season. They are now, I believe, 3-1 and one on the season in the shootout. Three points. Point one, special teams kept the Sabres alive in this one. 
Sabres go two for three on the power play and four for four on the penalty kill. Really, if we're being perfectly honest, the Sabres went three for three on the power play. Kempney's skates had literally barely hit the ice when Eichel scored. And with a penalty kill that had been maybe slightly suspect in a few recent games and a power play that had been very suspect in the most recent games, this was a welcome sight against an elite opponent, no less. We're going to need more of this going forward if we're going to see the Sabres progress to a new level this season. Point two, it sucks that is hurt. He's been great this season in a bit of a bounce-back year for him. Obviously, we, a lot of us were very disappointed in him after giving up that third-round pick to get him from the Canadians. He's got good speed. He's got good offensive play. He's decent defensively. Is he elite? No, but... Here's the question I ask when looking at a guy like Nate Beaulieu or looking at a guy like Casey Nelson. What do you want out of a third-line D-man? Really, at the end of the day, what do you want out of a third-line D-man? Usually how I answer that question, I don't want to notice you. And I don't notice Beaulieu or Casey Nelson. I don't want to notice you. Keep possession. Keep the puck. Put in your shift. Do something. Get off the ice. Don't do something that makes me notice you. I don't notice Nate Beaulieu. I don't notice Casey Nelson. I notice Matt Tennyson. I notice Marco Scandella. And it sucks for the Sabres to miss out on Nate Beaulieu. And it also sucks for Nate Beaulieu if Nate Beaulieu is injured. He's been great, and there's a logjam at defense right now that's going to make it difficult for him to find his way back into the team. He has been great. For what he is this season, he's been great. And it sucks that he's injured. Point three, look how far we've come. Last time the Sabres were in this building, it was February. The Sabres were bottom of the league. Eichel was in the middle of his two-month second high ankle sprain. The Sabres were playing without Evander Kane because they were desperately trying to get someone to take him off their hands before the deadline. Morale was so low, and the Sabres were blown out 5-1. I was at that game, and it was one of the lowest points of my Sabres fandom. And look at where the Sabres are now toe-to-toe with this team for 60 minutes and taking a point out of a weekend that's going to see them go back-to-back against two of the best teams in the East. Look how far we've come. On that note, we're moving on to the Bruins. The Sabres stopped in Boston on their way home on Sunday. Um, Hunwick actually makes his first appearance of the season after his conditioning stint, and Gooley is in for Tennyson and Beaulieu, who was out with that upper body injury from that Tom Wilson hit that we just talked about. Gooley's up after playing, I guess we can say, much better than his opening months of the season. He had four points in his last six games. That represents that he's doing a little bit better. You could kind of notice that on the ice, but if I'm being perfectly honest, he hasn't had the most impressive Amherst season so far. Actually, one the, the Sabres tweeted out that they, the Amherst were playing in Cleveland the night before, and they actually told Gooley he was getting called up during that game, and he did not appear for the third period. And uh, there's a great Twitter account, Let's Go Amherst, that covers all kinds of Amherst stuff. And and he the, the guy who runs it, Ken, tweeted out that... Um, you know, it's, are we surprised at all that we didn't even notice Brendan Gooley was missing in the third period? And really, it's just, it's kind of a really harsh criticism, but maybe kind of true. I, I think we were looking for a little bit more from Brendan Gooley this season. There was some ire when the decision was made to send him down at the beginning of the season, but he deserved to be sent down then. 
I guess he's playing a little bit better, so I guess he deserves this call-up now. But I I think as Sabres fans and as Amrix fans, we need a little more patience with Brendan Gooley than we had at the end of last season. I think he had an, he had a great, great rookie season last year. He looked like he was playing really well in the AHL level. He didn't make that jump this year, and so he's getting his call up now. He's getting his opportunity, but there, you know, I think we've we've got to keep an eye on how things are going for him. It's the same lineup as the night before, except Hunter and Gooley replaced Bolu and Tennyson on the bottom pairing. Tennyson was then sent down the next night. It's all Mark in net for this one as well, and in the first, Sabres have to survive an early PK as Johan Larson gets nailed on a tripping call. They survive and turn the momentum in the Bruins' direction. Eichel has a great wraparound shot attempt that is stopped by Rask. Sabres get some good chances on the power play after their strong man advantage showings against the Caps. Eichel rang a crossbar past Rask on one attempt, but they aren't quite able to capitalize. Shortly afterwards, Bruins youngster Ryan Donato got sprung free in a breakaway, and Matty Hunwick hauled him down. The ref correctly points to the spot, and it's officially a very rough debut for Hunter, who had been pretty solid for those two games in Rochester on his conditioning assignment. So this is kind of a rough transition to the NHL for him. Donato gets his shot and comes in on Allmark at full speed, but he actually kind of loses an edge as he approaches, and at high speed, he tries to make his attempt from his knees, but Allmark is able to track him rather easily to the side, and the Sabres survive. Shots are 14-10 Bruins at the end of the period. Allmark's required for some good ones, but it's a pretty even affair. The Sabres need to wake up a bit, and you get the sense that the Bruins weren't really that hungry for this one just yet, and the Sabres were coming off a back-to-back. So it's both teams, it's kind of a little bit, it's not a flat affair, but you get the sense that both teams are capable of much more, and the Bruins do show that rather early. Donato has just a world-class effort early in the second where he's able to shield the puck and drag it from one side of the goal to the other. The move leaves Linus Allmark reeling, but he holds up a flailing glove to stop the the attempt. Great move, great save. Three and a half minutes into the second, the Sabres strike first. Risto gives it to Eichel low on the left-hand side. He buzzes around and heads behind the net, but as he does, he shortens his grip and sends a no-look pass back to where he came from, where Skinner is now waiting alone. Skinner's alone. He roofs it 1-0. Bruins respond minutes later. Nordstrom comes back around the net at speed. Dalene is chases him, chasing him and tries to put a little bit of a hit on him, but can't quite keep pace. Nordstrom comes around the other side and sends it across to an arriving Stephen Kampfer, who scores his first of the season as he glides in rather unchecked, for being honest, and it's 1-1 on a rather easy one to concede. Sabres get really lucky about five minutes later. We're going to be totally honest here. There's a scrum out in front of the net, and the ref blows it dead, but the puck is clearly not covered as Linus is on his backside, kind of similar to that situation where he ended up with the Kings last week. Marshawn picks it out of the scrum and scores, but the refs had already blown the play dead, and it's not reviewable. There's nothing to say other than it was the wrong call to blow it dead, but the right call to uphold that. If it were us, we'd be livid, but it's not, so we move on. And I got to say, it does look good to watch Marshawn get some sort of injustice dealt on him. Does that make me petty? Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. Do I care? No. No, I don't think I do. 
Rask and Linus make some good saves to round it out. Shots are just about even at 9 to 10 in favor of the Sabres, and we enter the third tied. Into the third, the Bruins are the first to try to take the lead in this one as Allmark just robs Danton Heinen with a pad save minutes in. Darlene had been turned inside out on a 2-1, and one, and Allmark was left all alone, but he pulls out the stops. Five minutes into the third, Reinhardt feeds Eichel in the neutral zone, and Eichel blows through the zone at speed. He runs up the right-hand side and snipes Rask's near-side corner. It's not unlike the goal against the Caps the night before, except he didn't need to emasculate a defenseman on his way to scoring this one. Bruins go hunting and get some higher danger scoring chances. They don't trouble Allmark too much. One of them involves a comical moment where a stickless wrist linen is trying to kick a puck clear of the slot with his skates, but he completely whiffs and falls over while doing so. The Bruins do get their goal at about 13 and a half minutes in as Krejci just comes bearing through, skiing back and forth to the net, slides one over to Krug, who buries it for the equalizer. We have some work to do with about six and a half minutes left. Maybe we got to look at Allmark on this one. He just went really low and forward so quickly with his body, and the shot seemed like it could have been quite savable if he had just been in a standard position coming across the net. Bit of a goofy one. He, he was largely great for the rest of this game, so I don't want to get too critical. But I, I watched the replay of that one, and I thought, I thought even though Krejci came in quickly and squared it across quickly, I thought that was rather savable. Three and a half minutes remaining. Skinner dumps one to the corner where Reinhardt collects it. Eichel takes it off him, goes behind the net, and stop me if you've heard this before, but he sends it back to where he came the other way to Skinner, who scores. This one featured a bit more of a flashy backhand, but just what an incredible performance from Jack Eichel and Skinner and Reinhardt, who were the key playmakers and finishers, but wow, just a brilliant performance from the captain. Eichel wasn't done. The Bruins pull, trying to find their equalizer, and Zemgus Giergensen just takes a blast of a slap shot, and he drops the ice like a sack of potatoes. Sam Reinhardt collects the puck off his corpse and races into the neutral zone and sends it back to Jack Eichel, who lasers it from center ice for a 4-2 win. Three points on this one. Jack Eichel is in the ascendancy. It was a four-point night for him, two goals and two assists. Teams don't have an answer for him when he's in the mood. And look, let's let's get this out of the way. He's not McDavid. He's not Matthews. And I won't start any sort of conversation like that. But he's special. He's a special kind of elite level talent. And I feel like in hockey, we use the word elite too often. I mean, we, we apply the word elite to a quarter of the league. And if a quarter of the league is elite, then they aren't really elite. Jack Eichel is actually elite. I mean, they tell you that all men are created equal, and you've got to say that Jack Eichel makes you seriously question that statement. Point two, Sabres go seven points clear of Boston, who are in the lowest wildcard spot at this time. Sabres also go temporarily above the Leafs for the time being. And after a hiccup run of games, the Sabres have found their mojo again in this stretch. Point three, gotta say, Matty Hunwick has a role to play. It's a limited role, but he can still play and contribute to this team. Obviously, a significantly rough start to his tenure, giving away that penalty shot to Ryan Donato, but 
he was steady for the rest of that game. He had a great conditioning stint in Rochester, and I, th- I think he will be a much-needed, assuring veteran presence on the back end and just a solid depth player for this team to call upon when needed. Stock up, stock down. Of course, we have to talk about Jack Eichel when we're talking about stock up. This one is from Brayton Wilson on Twitter. Just to give you a perspective of how the month of December has gone, Eichel has nine goals and 13 points in seven games. He's currently riding a six-game point streak, averaging 5.6 shots per game, and averaging 20 minutes and 59 seconds of total on-ice time. He was eventually named the NHL's third star of the week in the league, and he's currently on pace for 109 points. I also, in the stock up, want to give a shout-out to the goaltending tandem, Carter Hutton was excellent in two games, barring his one little error in a miscommunication, and Allmark, barring his one one goal that I, I want to say he could have done a little bit better on, largely excellent as well. But I mean, if you total up their shots and look at, what, probably 120 shots between the three games that they faced, and they conceded a limited, limited number of goals, it's still a high point of this team that there are two goalies you can really rely on on the back end. Stock down. I've actually got a bunch, unfortunately. It's kind of weird to talk about on a five-point haul, but a couple that I think we need to chat about that will initiate some mailbag questions as well. we got to talk about Patrick Berglund, um, and the rumors that have come out are kind of interesting. That This was talked about in a couple podcasts and a couple blogs. I'm not entirely certain that this is true, but what we've heard is that Patrick Berglund, up until this year, had a full no-movement clause in his contract at St. Louis, which means that unless he approved a trade, he could not be traded. For this season, that no-movement clause was supposed to change to a modified no-movement clause where he specifies whatever was decided in his contract, either 8, 10, or 15 teams that he does not want to be traded to. And in that case, the Blues could have traded him to any team outside of that number of teams that was specified. Otherwise, they would have to double-check it with him, and he would have to confirm the trade. Apparently, what happened is that in between the no-movement clause becoming a modified no-movement clause, Patrick Berglund needed to specify what teams were on his no-move list. And apparently, before he did that, the Sabres and the Blues struck a deal. And because Patrick Berglund had not signed the paperwork, the Blues were able to deal him without checking in. And now I feel a little bad for him in that if that's the case, he clearly didn't want to be here at the time that the trade was made. And you can see how things would have gotten off on a wrong foot. I mean, you gotta, you gotta imagine. It doesn't matter if it's 8, 10, 12 or 15 teams, a team that's going on that list is a team that finished bottom of the league. Patrick Berglund at 30 years old is not going to want to go to that team. The Sabres would have been on his list. They weren't because he didn't submit his list and he ends up here. Not only that, he ends up at a team he doesn't want to be at, but ends up at a team that where they really didn't need him. And I'm not going to get too critical of him. I like Patrick Berglund's game and a lot of the facets with his size and his power that he can bring. But they scratched him several times in the opening games of the season, and I don't know that we necessarily missed him. And so I do feel badly for him that he's in this situation. That said, 
if the Sabres can find a way to get out of his $3.85 million per year for the next four years contract, I'm I'm not going to cry about it. Um, so Patrick Berglund, I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry that it's come to this, but if you've got to go, you've got to go, man. Other guys I've got on my stock down, I've got Jason Pominville down here. He has no points in his last 12 games. His last point came November 21st against the Flyers. And really dropping down the lines off of, you know, we, we were heartbroken when the J Crew broke up. And dropping down the lines really seemed to hurt Jason Pominville's production. I'm also going to put out Kyle Ocposo here. He's got no points in nine games. It's a bit harsher. He's hit a few posts and was taken off the power play line for Rasmus Dahlin to roll out that new look power play. But, I mean, that's two guys that I think we were hoping to have some consistent contribution from this year. And, you know, they, they've come in in bits and spurts. Jason Pominville had a great stretch at one time when he was playing on the top line, but not so much since then. We also got to put Matt Tennyson on here. He's not that bad, let's be perfectly honest, but he just doesn't have a future here. And Matt Hunwick being anywhere near a serviceable defenseman really cemented Matt Tennyson's status as surplus to requirements. So a couple guys, it's kind of weird to name four guys after a five-game point streak with some really impressive performances, but just some guys that I think you know we're looking for a bit more from, guys who I don't think have necessarily a big future with the team. And if we're being perfectly honest, Patrick Berglund, I'm sorry, man, but we're ready to see the back of you. Um, that's about it for part two. Join us in part three, where we'll be previewing the Sabres' next outings, talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester, around town in the league, and opening up our mailbag with questions from the listeners. We'll see you guys in a second. All right, Ben, welcome to part three, where we're going to be looking ahead to the Sabres' next three outings. And tomorrow night, that's Tuesday, the Sabres will welcome the Florida Panthers to town. I believe it's their first time in the building this season. Their last time out, they beat the Leafs overtime on Saturday night, and they're probably looking to start a bit of a resurgence. They're 2-5 and five since their overtime win over the Sabres a few weeks ago. And really, I think if you're going to talk about the Florida Panthers, I think you're really just talking about a saber or a saber, a season that has never really gotten off the ground. They have a wealth of talent. I mean, just Huberto, Hoffman, Barkov, Luongo is healthy again. They tried to solve the fact that Luongo is really old by adding James Reimer, and they're still bottom of the division. It just they it never really got going for them this season. Is it too late? Should they just start watching Jack Hughes highlights? I'm not really sure. What's dangerous about this team is that this is a team that is completely 100% capable of not just beating the Sabres. They could roll the Sabres with the talent that they have. They went toe-to-toe with the Leafs and won in overtime the night before, uh, or the night before, Saturday night. And so this is a team that I think is very, very dangerous. I'm really excited because I'm going to this game. Um, it's the first time in my life that I've ever made back or Sabres games in back-to-back weeks. So I'm really excited to go check out another home game, and I'll be at that one. I'll send some pictures out to you guys. Um, but that's one that I think will be or could be a really intense and difficult game for the Sabres. Talking about difficult games, the Sabres will return to D.C. to face the Capitals again on Friday. 
not much to say about this one since we just got done talking about them. Um, they're really good. And they play the Pens Wednesday night. So hopefully the Sabres will catch them sleeping in a bit of a big game hangover. That's unlikely considering how the Sabres gave them a run for their money in that shootout loss. But we'll see. And after that, the Sabres return home for a game against the Ducks on Saturday. The Sabres last saw the Ducks on their West Coast trip. They had started strongly and then fallen away and then come roaring back. And at the time of recording, they're 8-2 in their last 10 and on a three-game win streak. That has them third in the Pacific, but there's a bit of a playoff race in the Pacific with the Sharks, Ducks, Golden Knights, and Oilers all within two points of each other. Ryan Getzlav is their point leader with eight goals and 18 points. We also might see newcomer Daniel Sprong, who was acquired in a trade with the Penguins a few weeks ago. He had an overtime winner against the Blue Jackets on Saturday. And they have a really busy East Coast trip ahead. And the Sabres catch them at the end of it. They play the Pens tonight. That's Monday night of recording. Then the Rangers Tuesday, the Bruins Thursday, and then the Sabres Saturday. So hopefully we will catch that old team a little tired and banged up before they're ready to go home. But it seems like they're very, they're a very capable team out front. One player who I, I you know I, I wish we could have welcomed back to Buffalo, but we will not due to a knee injury that he's been dealing with is Ryan Miller, who had been fantastic for them backing up John Gibson, but he hurt his knee and looks like he's going to be out for a hot minute. And so we won't be welcoming him back on Saturday. Moving on to down the road, Amherst had a bit of a rough one on Wednesday night. They ran out 5-1 losers against the Binghamton Devils, who weren't really that good. I left after the second period on that one. There really wasn't much to see other than Matt Hunwick's conditioning stint. They bounced back to be 3-1 winners and 2-1 overtime winners over the Cleveland Monsters in a home-and-home on the weekend. Cleveland have been a really solid team this year, so those were some good wins. I was at the Friday night game, and it was particularly entertaining. Longtime Sabre Nathan Gerby is actually the captain of the Monsters, so it was nice to welcome an old friend back home. Like we've talked about a couple times, Matt Hunwick completed that conditioning stint there. He finishes a plus two with an assist on Sean Malone's goal against the Devils on Wednesday. He looked pretty good in in both games, got to be honest. The news that everyone will want to talk about now is what happens now that Berglund has gone walkabout on the season. While three defensemen in this organization can go down injured and the Sabres and really the Amherst can survive, that's not really the case with forwards who have been shuffling one or two of Berglund, Erod, Remy Eli, and Zemgis Giergensens out of the bottom six. They'll need a body. And I've got to say that it makes the most sense for that body to be C.J. Smith. Yes, his numbers are almost identical with the numbers of Alex Nylander. Nylander has, um, I'm sorry, C.J. Smith has 8 goals, 13 assists, and Nylander has 7 goals, 13 assists. But C.J. Smith is a much more complete player and much more of a ready player than Nylander is. Nylander is progressing, but if you need a body today... You need to call up C.J. Smith, especially considering the role. You need a bottom six contributor who can do some shutdown play and some hassling and harrying and uh, the opposition on the forecheck and have the ability to score the odd goal. Really, only one of those 
is a significant strength of Nylander's, and that's the goal scoring. This isn't his time where you can call him up to a position where he's going to be successful if you're looking to stick him on the third or fourth line and play shut down minutes. We already have a player kind of playing out of position there, and that's Tage Thompson. He's been okay. I don't see the point of adding another player there. Um, In other news, Victor Olofsson has gone a tad cold. He is or I'm sorry, he has three goals and four assists in his last 15 games compared to five goals and 10 assists in his first 10. Part of that drop can definitely definitely be attributed to the fact that his early hot streak had a lot to do with being on the power play and that teams have kind of figured out how to shut him down when he was in that kind of opposite OV zone on the shooter or on the power play. But Part of that is just he has not looked nearly that good in the second half of his body of work than in the first. And he's got some work he's got to get back to doing if he's going to be contributing the way he was or anywhere near he was at the beginning of the season. Amherst played the Belleville Senators and then a back-to-back home game stanza against the Hartford Wolf Pack this weekend. Moving on to around town, we'll we'll, uh, we'll start with a funny one. There's an interesting event at the Chicago Blackhawks game uh, where Tommy Hawk, I never knew that that was the name of their mascot, but Tommy Hawk was seen on camera getting into a fight with a fan, and apparently this was entirely the fan's fault. Apparently a rather inebriated fan tried to remove Tommy Hawk's headpiece or his whatever you want to call the the hat that the mascot wears and Tommy Hawk returned suit and completely dropped the dude put him in a headlock and then escorted him out of the building it was rather impressive i didn't know that a mascot could do something like that kind of makes you wonder of what gritty would be capable if someone tried to mess with him in Philadelphia on the Blackhawks note spare a thought for Corey Crawford he suffered a concussion against the Sharks He's had lots of issues with head stuff, especially going into this season. He was back this year after not playing a game since last December. There were rumors as recent as this offseason that he might have to retire with vertigo-related issues that didn't seem to be able to resolve be able to be resolved. He came back and then was involved in a really nasty collision with actually his own player, but it involved, I mean, everything seems to involve Evander Kane, but it involved Evander Kane. Whether or not that was his fault is really neither here nor there, um, but really hoping that Corey Crawford can, I mean, if, if this keeps happening, you got to be talking about, we really hope that Corey Crawford can live a normal life. Um, you know, with the with the issues that he was facing that were so close to keeping him out of the game. Stuff like this, if this keeps occurring, just spare a thought and maybe uh, some well wishes for Corey Crawford on this one. Other no news going a little more serious as well. Today the Flyers announced that they fired head coach Dave Hackstall. This was coming. They fired um, their GM Ron Hextall earlier this year about maybe about two weeks ago now and the flyers are still bottom of their division or close to the bottom of their division and i mean this is their window this is this this is the flyers trying to be good and it has not gone anywhere close to plan they need a goalie they need a lot of other things they got gritty that's probably their best offseason addition um, and that's including james van riemsdyk so Sabres, Flyers still trying to make something happen this season with firing of a head coach. 
And something else that I think will be increasingly developing over the next few weeks, Dan Carcillo has always, or sorry, has never shied away from making headlines and making waves about issues in the hockey community. And he has come out and opened up about some really haunting, hazing experiences that he experienced when he was playing in the OHL and the positions that he was put in and what he felt like he needed to do in order to make it in the NHL level. And what I think what's maybe the most haunting is not just what happened to him, but that many of the coaches and staff and GMs were fully aware of what was happening and wouldn't do anything about it. And there are there's an article about this. Carcillo tweeted a bunch about it, and there's a video interview of him that really has a, a bit of a haunting quote for me. You know, to hear from a guy who won some cups, successful career, for to hear a guy to hear a guy like that say, "I love hockey, I hate hockey culture, it's poisonous." I think we're gonna see this story develop more because I you know in the evolving days of you know our, our awareness and uh the society's responses to abuse and assault and um and bullying and hazing I think this is going to be something that that will not this will not be the end of this and this will not be the the last time that we hear of this I think we're going to see some more players come forward about things that happened to them um, in from hazing circumstances and and new team circumstances look I I don't always agree with Dan Carcillo's take on certain items his opinions on certain items the way he goes about presenting his opinion on certain items but I mean at the end of the day this is it's a truly haunting account that he puts forward and that's our show i'm just kidding that's uh we got a mailbag to finish off to round things off on a slightly slightly brighter lighter note but again that's not going to be the end of this one Moving on to our mailbag, remember you can tweet us in some questions at ickgaw, that's I-C-G-A-W, and you can also email us at ickgawpod at gmail.com. This one comes in from, from a great Twitter name. This is from Dan Suboptimal on Twitter, and here's the tweet. Assuming that, and he puts the numbers, 53-9-23, that Skinner, Eichel, Reinhardt is too valuable to break up and spread the wealth around, how can the team jumpstart secondary scoring? Do you think there is a real solution without making roster moves? If not, what roster moves would you like to see? So I first want to address the fact that that, that line really cannot be broken up. Here's a stat, um, something interesting from Jack Eichel's most recent performances and Sam Reinhart's role in that. Reinhart has the primary assist on six of Eichel's 14 goals. Eight of Jack's goals have come in the last seven games. Sam was on his line for all of them and had assists on six of them. Jack makes Sam better, and Sam does the same for Jack. So that line, I mean, that's not news, that Sam and Jack have excellent chemistry together. Add Skinner in there, and we see some excellent, uh, an excellent complementary pairing between Jack and Skinner as well. That line is purring, and you cannot break it up to try to spread the wealth around the team. But what can you do? We talked about how that second line is not performing as well as we would like and can reach a new level. 
And after that, it, it all goes kind of downhill. I mean, here, just some numbers to run off. Uh, Zemgis Giergens has, has three goals and five assists on the season. Uh, Johan Larson has two goals and two assists on the season. Sabatka has three goals and two assists on the season. Evan Rodriguez is marginally better with two goals and eight assists on the season. All of those guys have played around 30 games on average. And let's 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 talk about one other thing. I'm loving Zemgis Gergensen's and Johan Larson this season in terms of what they're willing to contribute. I mean, what a change from last season. Like, think about just some of the dead weight that was on this team last season. Jacob Josephson, Benoit Pouliot, Seth Griffith, all of those guys are basically out of the league this year. And... I mean, I kind of have a soft spot for Seth, Seth Griffith. He was largely excellent for the Amherst this season, and I, I kind of wanted to see him get an Amherst contract or get brought back. But the rest of those guys contributed largely nothing all season, not just in a numbers standpoint, but in an effort standpoint. And something kind of related, when I when I tweeted out a question looking for questions for the pod, um, Robert on Twitter replied, just Zemgis Giergensen, dot, dot, dot. And I replied back, well, in the positive or in the negative? And he replied, super positive. The guy is one of the hardest working on the team without getting much of the glory. And that is so true. He is one of the hardest working guys on the team. I mean, he he took a bullet for the team to get their empty net goal against the Bruins. He took a massive slap shot to the body. It falls to Sam Reinhart, who runs down the ice, drops it for Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel scored. Zemgis Giergensen's actually got an assist. One of those five assists is from blocking a slap shot and then Sam Reinhart collecting the puck off of his corpse to go back the other way. I love Zemgis Giergensen's. I love Johan Larson. I love this entire team. I want to be perfectly honest. I don't want to see any member of this team go. I'm loving this team this season. I love the vibes. I love the way that they're playing. I love Giergensen's and Larson's. They do everything that bottom six contributors should do but score. So there is an issue, and you've got to wonder how to solve this problem. Can we move things around to get something going? I mean, I think I guess what you're left wondering is like, okay, who's getting moved? Like if you drop Connor Sherry down a line, Connor Sherry's numbers haven't been that impressive in recent games that we've talked about. You're going to drop Kyle Poso down. That's not going to help anyone that substantially either. I'm going to be perfectly honest in that I don't think a shakeup happens this season. It's probably Jason Botterill's project of the offseason. And the Botterill way is to develop through the AHL and get those guys contributing in bottom six role. It's how he made his money in Pittsburgh. And I remember him specifically mentioning, I believe it was Nick Benino, as a guy whom they developed in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, and he ended up being a mainstay in the bottom six in the Penguins' cup runs. So before he blows up the bottom six, I would imagine that JB is going to see what Rasmus Asplund, Victor Olofsson, CJ Smith, and Sean Malone are at the NHL level. I think we're going to see those guys get their shot and start making some some developed appearances before we start making some moves. If he decides that they aren't ready, 
then I think we'll we'll see those moves to try to get some scoring in. What would that look like? I mean, I don't know. Pick take take your pick on different moves that could be made. It's kind of a challenging challenging aspect of the team to put together because I mean you you need some guys who are good enough to play certain roles but bad enough to not have to pay them an exorbitant amount of money. So it's a it's a challenging item. I I mean, Dan, great question. I don't I don't genuinely have an answer for you other than those general numbers about the the issue at hand. I don't think we're going to see the problem solved this season unless there is suddenly this mindset that the Sabres are just going to go for it this season. I don't think this is something they're going to break the bank to try to improve. I think they want to see what their in-house assets will look like before they start making moves to try to fix this problem. Dan, thank you so much for your question. And Robert, thank you so much for your comment on Giergensen's. I, I agree with both of you. Definitely something to take a look at for this team that and a significant weakness for this team that needs to be improved. That is going to do it for our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's show, we would so appreciate it. If you would subscribe, possibly drop us a five-star review on iTunes. Tell your friends to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast receiver. Remember to email those questions in at ickgawpod at gmail.com. All that information will be in the show notes. We'll be coming at you next week to recap those games against the Panthers, Caps, and Ducks. In the meantime... Keep those heads up, Sabres fans. It might not get much better, but remember, it can't get any worse. We'll see you guys soon. Dip in to Oposo. Oposo hanging on to it back at the point. Oposo drops it off in the corner to Eichel. Eichel buzzing around. Eichel in the lane. Score!